This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Well, take a copy of your copy of God's Word, if you will, and open to the book of Titus. We are still in the theme or the aspect of answering this question, who are we? And we looked at it several uh, for several weeks, looking at the uniqueness of being Baptist and and uh, Southern Baptist, some of, of uh, the uh, information shared was just uh, especially introductory and, and those type of things, just practical things uh, of knowing what it means to be Southern Baptist and the, the whole idea of working together to do what we can do together that we could never do alone. And we began to understand that who we are and who are we is the, we have to know why we are who we are, our doctrine, our beliefs, our passions. What separates us from the world? You know, what makes the gospel different than other religions? And so we spent several weeks looking at those things that are, that are so important. I still want us to take some time to understand who are we, but I want us to shift gears a little bit into the second level of this series. Who are we? We are the church. And no matter how you say it, or no matter how you look at it, the church is people. The church is made up of individuals that come together as the, the body of Christ. And just that word, the, the body of Christ and the uniqueness of bodies and parts and themes is very unique. So as we go through these next several weeks, and we're looking at the book of Titus, so we're still kind of in a series, but we're going to be looking at Titus over the next several weeks. So turn to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Titus 1, 1 through 4. We are the church, and, and Titus uh, was charged with a task of establishing leadership uh, in the church in this area. And so I want to encourage you, as we go through Titus, I want you to think about your life. Do you have the assurance of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're a believer? Remember a few weeks ago we talked about that great question. If we were standing before the Lord and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Could we, could we answer appropriately that I could come into your presence in heaven because I've repented of my sin and I've placed my faith in you and I know that I am a blood-bought, redeemed child of God. I have that assurance. Not perfect. None of us are perfect. But I have that assurance that I know I'm a believer. But I think there's a second question in, as we look at Titus. Do we belong to his church? Both universally, but I think we're missing something in our culture today. Locally. I think we need to understand what it means to be part of a unique body of believers that meets at a particular spot for a particular reason to do a particular mission, the local church. 
I shared over different settings of a, a family member. I, I better not give their name. They may be worshiping with us very shortly. But a family member came to, to, to hear me preach. You know, when, you, when you've got a, 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 a family member in ministry, you, oh, we're going to go hear John preach. And so the family members, I guess when you're a family member of a pastor, you love to fill out a visitor's card at that person's church. So they, the visitor card was filled out, and it was like, oh, I'm, this is my church. What church do you belong to? And they wrote this church down. And so after the service, the visitor's card goes into my office. And so we went and had lunch with my family, and, and I picked up the card, and I just said, really? I'm not going to say this person's name, but it's hard for me not to. You wrote down a church you've not been to for 30 years. And that family member who I love dearly, well, that's my church. I'm like, no, it's not. Is it their church? If we historically just put something on a piece of paper and say that I belong to something, does that make that something who we are? Now, our culture may say that, and, and for practical reasons and legal reasons or whatever reasons, you might could say, yes, that fact is true. But you think about what it means to belong to a body. You know, you all are what make this church what it is. People is what makes the church what it is. And if we can't find our joy in that, help us. I want to challenge you to think about this. Where is your local church membership? And you ask yourself, are you serving there? Are you worshiping there? Is your life doing what is necessary to help that local body accomplish the Great Commission? That is what it means to be part of a church. Who are we? We're a body. And we get to come together to do together that we could never do alone. See how that works? We're a denomination of churches doing things together we can never do alone. We are individuals doing something together that we could never do alone. I believe in these first four verses we're going to see some very clear reasons why being part of a church should be very exciting to us. And really a great privilege. It's not a privilege, oh, they let me in, but it's like a privilege, I get to do this. A privilege that I get to belong to something that has eternal possibilities. I get to belong to something so unique that Christ gave his life for it and that one day Christ is coming again for us. That is pretty special. That is the church. So take your Bible, Titus 1 verses 1 through 4. Paul writing to Titus. He's encouraging Titus to get the churches in order and as the churches are being established and church plants and the, the kingdom is growing. It has a lot to do with leadership, but more than anything, it has to do with people. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness 
in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the tougher time manifested in us his word through the preaching for which I have been entrusted by the commander of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the writings of Paul to Titus in the early church. We thank you, Lord, for this area of Crete where the church was becoming established and the, and the New Testament church was exploding on the scene. Lord, I pray that we realize as Avon Park, and particularly as First Baptist Church of Avon Park, that we are just as special, we are just as strategic, we are just as important. And that we realize as individuals that we need to belong to a body and give of ourselves through it because of who you are. Lord, help us to be excited about your church. Help us to be excited about who we are in you and what that means. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Consider this. We can be part of a church or we be part of the body or we can be part of the church and part of the body. Have you ever been real excited about something and that nobody else just kind of gets it? We all kind of have our little niches that we like. Um, some of our northern guests have, have made their way back with us. I'm glad they're back because literally we have saved your spot for you. And, and being Baptist, we do not sit where you sit, and so it's good to see shirts in those blue spots this week. But up north, they like hockey. I tried it once, just didn't do anything for me. We had longer intermissions than they played. Now, granted, there must be a reason behind that, but we, you play and you take an intermission, you play an intermission. just wasn't for me. But for the life of me, I couldn't understand why they didn't, my neighbors didn't like ACC or SEC football. You know, they either want to talk about hockey or the Bears or the Packers or the Vikings, you know, and you're just like, but you don't get it. Saturday's the day. I used to spiritualize it. Saturday's for football, Sunday's for the Lord. Just didn't get it. When you really like something and other people don't get it, you just don't get it. I don't get why people don't get the church. Because I think if you get Jesus, you get the church. If you get Jesus, you get the church. And what you get to do through the church, that's what's so important to me, is what I get to do as part of the body of Christ, what that means, the relationships that I have, and what I'm able to accomplish through my life that I can only accomplish as a Christian through the church. Because if you're a Christian, you're never going to fulfill your purpose apart from the body because you can't do your purpose apart from the body so being a Christian and not serving through the church kind of defies or denies what it means to be a Christian to fulfill the great commission 
Notice what Paul says here to Titus. And if we kind of zip through the introduction, we kind of forget that every part of God's word, I believe, has a message for us. What a privilege to be part of the church, to serve together, to live together, to do ministry together. Why do I say that? One, because we are a servant to God. Now, I know we think about God and we go, God, like he's God. Well, he is. He is God. But it's God. It's real. It's personal. And because of what Christ did on the cross, I have a relationship with God. And yes, he is to be revered and to be worshipped and to be honored and we need to to live right and act right. He is a just God and he is a God of, of wrath, but he's also a God of love and he's a God of mercy and he's a God of faithfulness. And notice what Paul says as he's encouraging Titus. As a believer, Paul says, a servant... Of God. That word servant, now think about this because you are a believer, if you're sitting here today and you know that you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a Christian, you are a servant of God. The word doulos, it means to be a, a slave. But it's not in the context that we would think like slavery, that we think about slavery, being forced to do something, you know, taken apart from your will and you're forced to do something and your entire existence is based upon doing that which you would never want to do on your own. It's a different understanding of what it means to be a servant in this context. It means that we are willingly serving someone else and dependent upon that person. And you think about our salvation. We once were lost and now we're found. We once were blind and the song says that we now can see. And because of the gospel, we are saved. And the moment that we give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a servant to the Lord. It kind of the idea we would call lordship salvation, that when we become a believer, we become a follower of Jesus Christ, that we take up our cross daily and we follow Christ. He is the Lord of our life. And when someone is the Lord of our life, he is the most important thing in our life, and everything else filters through that. Now, that does not mean that we don't have hobbies and interests and things, but yet all of those things should filter through the idea, I I'm a servant of God. And as a servant of the Lord, I serve Him. Willingly, I serve Him. But as a servant of God, everything in my life, I am dependent upon Him. It's not that I run to Him when I need something. I am with Him all the time because I'm dependent upon Him. We could almost stop the message there and give an invitation. What more motivation do we need to be excited about the body of Christ and being a believer and having an opportunity to even be here this morning? I'm a servant of God. Next time somebody asks you who you are, just say, I'm a servant of God. But also, secondly, I'm a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says. He says, 
to the Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, an apostle was someone that had authority that was sent out by Christ. He, he was part of the disciples of Christ. He had the authority of Christ. The words that Christ spoke, they spoke. We know that the apostles and through the life of the apostles, the word of God was spoken. There's no need for an apostle any longer because the authority that we have from the Lord is found in his word. But the idea of that apostle was he was a mouthpiece of the Lord. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. Now that may make some of us nervous because when we think of the word messenger, we think about words and somebody may say, well, my words aren't where, we, where they need to be. Well, that's a you problem. You need to fix that because you are a messenger of Jesus Christ if you've given your life to Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, you are a messenger of Jesus Christ. When you think about this word messenger, Think about politics for a moment. You think about like, I've never really hung out at the White House, but there's a lot of shows about the White House and cabinets and all that. Have you ever noticed in TV shows, or maybe you've been involved with politics, you know, you, you, you've got something you want to talk to to a country about. And so what do you do? You have to go and talk to that ambassador and that representative of the country. And that person comes and you, you lay out your proposal and that person says, I'll get back with you. That messenger does not have the authority. Who has the authority? The one that sent the messenger. It's not my message. I guess if, if I'm really prayed up and studied up and living a good holy life and I preach a message that I know the Lord laid on my heart and somebody says, well, I didn't like that message. I guess I could say it's not my message. And it shouldn't be my message. It should be God's message. Think of it this way. God saved you. Now, I don't know how this would work. So let's say hypothetically, you're sitting there one day and the phone rings and Wednesday or January after the election, the new president calls you. Probably somebody else will call and say something like this. Could you hold for the president? Yes, I would. We would like you to be an ambassador to this country. Why me? And they're going to look at you and say, why not you? Because of your character and your life and who you are and the way that you will represent our great nation. That would be kind of a cool phone call, wouldn't it? Christ says... You are my ambassador. And because you are mine, I have gifted you and equipped you and I am sending you. You are a messenger because of who you are in me. I believe in you. You are somebody. You can fulfill what I'm asking you to do. Our, our shepherd group met uh, Yesterday morning, had 20-so men, and we meeting and had our shepherding group. You know what we decided in there? That every one of us as men are called to be leaders of the church. Every one of us. I asked for a show of hands. How many men just, just love to stand up and talk in public? A couple of them said, raise their hand. How many of you men are scared to death to even have a conversation right now in this group? And they, mm. 
both men are leaders. How many of us feel comfortable teaching the Bible? How many don't? How many can sing? How many cannot? How many can do this? How many can do that? It doesn't matter what we can do. What matters is what he has done. We are his messenger. And we have a message to proclaim. And we have been sent by the Lord. It doesn't matter how the world receives it. I'm coming bearing his message. That ought to excite us, by the way. If I had a picture of y'all right now, I would never do this. Y'all are not very excited about this. I've only answered the phone one time preaching. I'll tell y'all a little secret. This is a, you don't tell anybody that didn't come here. I actually answered the phone in the pulpit one Sunday. My wife was traveling and was in the wrong time zone. And I answered the phone. I, said, I got in trouble, so I put the phone up. I would take a picture of y'all. Y'all don't look very excited right now. All right, act like by the expression of your face, you are a servant of God. Let me see that. That's better. So I can see your face now that the lines are up. But you're a messenger of Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? I once was lost, now I'm found, I was blind and now I see. I love that song. But now I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. I'm sent with a message. I am authorized with this message. 2 Corinthians 5, you know the context. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, sent with the message of reconciliation. I always share this with people. If reconciliation is not a big deal for you to live out, then reconciliation is probably not a big deal for you to be living out. That made a lot of sense, didn't it? If you can't get excited about telling people about reconciliation, you may not be reconciled. If you can't get excited about saying, I am saved, I am redeemed, I am born again, I belong to the church, I've got a message to proclaim to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Don't lose Titus. Acts 20, 24. I love... What I love about Paul was his life was so complicated. He had issues, didn't he? He had a complicated life. He was a Jew of Jews. He got saved. We don't know if he was married or not. Somebody, well, he was married. His wife died. He was a Sadducee affair. We don't know. He was a tent maker. He was just everywhere. I mean, if, if we followed, if, if Facebook would have been around with Paul's day and followed his life, we'd be praying over him, wondering what he did wrong. Oh, my goodness, his life was just so dysfunctional. And, you know, he ought to name it, claim it, and believe it, and Jesus would prosper him, Right? Now, he had something going on all the time. But notice verse 24 of Acts 20. I do not account my life or any value nor as precious to myself. His life is of no value or precious to himself. Now, his relationship with Christ is the underlying thing here. So it was very... His life was precious to him, and he, was, he loved his life because of who he was in Christ. That's what made his life. See, if, if we live our life based on, uh, 
I think about football's in full swing now. If I had a dollar for every young man I've been around coaching athletics since I started coaching athletics, if I had a dollar for every one of these young men that was going to go and play professional sports, I could fulfill the shoebox goal we met. I'm going to do this. And there's nothing wrong with having a dream. I thought we might could win the SEC East this year. That didn't work out quite right. Who cares about football anyway? I'm more focused on the gospel. And then when it doesn't happen, they don't know what to do. But that's what I was going to do. That's what I had everything banked on. What happens now? I don't know what happens now. Because you had your, your hopes in the wrong thing. If I could just make straight A's in high school, if I could just go to college, if I could find the, the perfect wife, can I just say this? There's no such thing as a perfect wife. Sharon, you want to take over from this point? There's no such thing as a perfect husband. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. There's no such thing as a perfect church member. There's no such thing as a perfect politician. There's no such thing as a perfect job. There's no such thing as a perfect employer, a perfect employee, a perfect nothing. There's nothing this side of heaven that is perfect. The only thing that is perfect is our walk with Christ. And until we put our hope in that, we're always going to be lacking because we're always going to be disappointed. Paul is saying, I don't value that stuff, but if only I may finish my course. What was his course? When he met Christ that day, his life radically changed. And his course became about living out the gospel of Jesus Christ and finding his joy in Christ. No matter where that sent him, no matter what the task was at hand, his job was filling, fulfilling what Christ had asked him to do. That's my course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord, We open up our hearts in repentance and faith and we're saved. And immediately I believe each and every one of us when we become a believer, we're given a ministry to follow Christ, to love Christ, to serve Christ, to be a messenger for Christ. And he literally hands that to us as Christ in us and us in Christ and we receive that. And only that I may finish this course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify, to give witness, to bear truth to the gospel of the grace of God. Grace, that unmerited favor, that gift that we get from God that we don't deserve. Who had a great testimony? Paul had a great testimony. Who has a great testimony? testimony of grace we have a great testimony of grace I'm a servant of the Lord I'm the servant of the sovereign God of the universe and I'm a messenger for Jesus Christ I don't ask the world to agree with what I say because what I say is the truth I'm not asking the world to confirm the message Because the message has been confirmed. I'm just a messenger. But I believe the one who sent me is who he says that he is. That's where the passion and the boldness comes from. See, when you really love something and you really believe in something, that's where the passion and the boldness comes from. 
And a lot of times in ministry and as a pastor, it's like, okay, what can we do to get the church excited about missions? And so what we'll do is we'll do this. What can we do to get an individual excited about giving? What can we do about getting an individual excited about coming to church or doing the things that we need to do in Scripture? See, there becomes the problem. We're trying to get somebody excited to do something they ought to be excited about doing anyway. That's why we share the gospel so plainly and clearly and passionately. That's why we preach the word day in and day out. That's why it's so important that we stay in the word and we stay in the text. That's the only thing that changes our heart. I'm a servant of God. Secondly, I'm a messenger of Christ. Paul owned it. He was for him. Number three, it's one thing to say, I'm a servant of God and a messenger for Christ. Big deal. So what? Here's the so what. For the sake of the elect. What did Paul say? Turn back to Titus. Paul is encouraging Titus to get the church in order to do these certain things. And this is what he says. We're we're a servant of God. We're apostle of Jesus Christ for the purpose of of God's elect and their knowledge of truth. We do what we do. We serve the Lord God. We are a messenger for Christ. We are his disciple for the sake of those who will come to Christ. That's it. Isn't that simple? The Great Commission is due to do what? To go and do what? To go and be happy, to go and be fulfilled, to go and to have a great career, to go and be wealthy, to go and make disciples for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the body, for the sake of those who will believe. That is why we do what we do. That is why we are a servant of God. If you could just, I wouldn't ask you to do it. If you would just individually, if you could just stand up. Don't do it. Stand up. Wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing, though? Everyone individually stand up and just spin around. Why do we do what we do for the elect? And we think about election. We think about the election coming up. What? Who are the elect? Well, it's not hard. For those that have called on the name of the Lord, those who have responded to God's call of the gospel is the elect. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, those names written in the Lamb Book of Life, those that will respond to the gospel, those that will be saved, those that we're going to be hanging out in heaven with, that's the elect. That's why we do what we do. That is why our Sunday school teachers taught Sunday school. That is why my RA leaders taught RAs. That is why my former preachers preach. That is why every missionary does what they do for the sake of the elect not the sake of them Paul didn't say I do these things for me I do it for them one of my funny things I like to say and it kind of came just off the top of my head and then it kind of became ongoing monotonous and probably aggravating Joe Mays, a dear friend of mine, is a youth pastor, and he hadn't been, been long hired as our youth pastor, and 
he wanted to meet the other youth pastors. And so when you hang out with youth pastors, you have to have something like pizza and, up in Indiana, pizza and pop. So they're hanging around at pizza and pop doing youth pastor stuff. And I was up in the office, and I said, I'm going to go get them. So I walked down in our fellowship hall, and about four or five local youth pastors are sitting around, and I didn't really know them, and Joe had just been new in there. And I said, so we're going to sit around here and drink pizza and pot, and people are dying and going to hell every day? Why don't we just have a party instead of go share the gospel? And I walked back upstairs, and one of the youth pastors looked at Joe and goes, is he for real? <laughs> no, he's not for real. So I've said that randomly throughout the time. We just, we're going to just sit around here and just have a big party. People are dying and go to hell. But isn't that a lot of truth in that statement? I mean, you think about our life and you think about the soul of people and their eternal destiny. God has given me a mandate to love him and to serve him and to go out there and make a difference. And we're sitting around playing church in our churches today and the world is going to hell around us and we're mad at the world because it's going to hell around us and so we condemn the world and judge the world because they're going to hell around us and we're the one that's got the message that can change that. And don't we do that? People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through my lips. People need to see the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out through my lips and through my life. There needs to be some consistency there in the church. We get to do things that, you know, we're, not, we're, we're part of something very unique here, part of a church. We get to see dead people come to life as a body of Christ. You ever thought about that? You know, I always want to, it's not funny, but it is funny. You know, you, I've got a, a good friend, and you say, hey, funeral business, hey, how's business going? Well, people dying to come see us. Dead people coming to see him. We got it different. Dead people become alive and walk out. Isn't that awesome? We carry the gospel into a world that is dead and their trespasses and sin, and we have the message of life. Because we're a servant of God and a messenger of Christ for the sake of the elect. I do what I do because of people. I do what I do because of the lostness of people. That's a completely different perspective rather than I do what I do for me. I do what I do for my success. I do what I do for my future. Paul, had, we don't even know what Paul's future, we don't know what, he did. was he married? We know he made tents. We don't know anything about his family. Why? Because he was so consumed with Christ, that's all he cared about. For the sake of the elect. Three things about the elect. And our ministry to the elect. You've heard this before. Evangelism. For the sake of the elect. How do I know? This is, I, I, I like to think, I think weird sometimes. Who are the elect? Wouldn't that be kind of cool if we get seminary? I've said this before. If we get seminary glasses, you get when you graduate from seminary, you get elect glasses. Oh, now I know in God's mind who all are believers. I don't have a clue. I don't, I'm like Adrian Rogers. I always say this. I don't know who the elect is. I'm voting for everybody. There's one common denominator about election: the gospel. 
What you do with the gospel determines where you spend eternity. If you respond to it, guess what? If you deny it, guess what? That's it. My ministry in a local church, who you are, if you're, if you're giving your life to Christ and you're a believer and you're part of a church, you are, you are part of a church whether you agree with it or not. You're just not serving there or not. For the sake of the elect is reaching out evangelism. When's the last time you shared the gospel? And I'm not talking about knocking on a door and 14 questions and ABC, do, re, me, you know. Remember I said last week, you got the box of the skull in it. We're not scaring somebody into hell or out of heaven or whatever. But when's the last time you had a relationship with somebody and your desire was to share the gospel in such a way that God would use your life? Here's a good way to say it. When's the last time you felt that you allowed God to use your life to help bring someone to Christ? You may not have been the preacher. You may not have been the one witnessing, but you have been praying for someone. You've been building a relationship. That's what I enjoy doing, building relationships with someone in order that I can share the gospel. Do you know whether or not your, your co-workers are believers or not? When's the last time you asked them? When's the last time we asked someone, how are you doing spiritually? Do you know Christ in a personal way? What can I do to help you understand more about the Lord? What can I do to pray for you? Where do you go to church? Would you like to come to church? To me, there's just a gazillion things we can do to figure out where somebody is with Christ and be that person that can help them through that. And what makes that so wonderful is you've got people that will listen to you that will never listen to me. That's what being a missionary is. You have people that God has placed in your life that you need to be a witness to. Remember last week, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul said, I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, one of the dangers that we have uh, with evangelism and reaching out with the gospel is we try to think of a way that we can be the most sneaky about it. I don't understand that. I have actually been to evangelism training before, and it's like, all right, now, if you do this and if you do that, like we're trying to sneak them up with them. If we really tiptoe around it, maybe they won't understand we're talking about heaven and hell, and at the end of the conversation, they can say something, but we don't want them to know, well, that doesn't make any sense. That would be like telling a couple, brother, pastor, we want to get married. Oh, my goodness. Are you really want to get married? Marriage is the greatest thing in the world. Amen. I told you this is a rough crowd. I told the this is a rough crowd. See, you hesitated. I, Sharon was the only one that said, yes, Jesus. Sharon got spirit-filled when I said it. But guess what else it has? Struggles. Difficulties. Just the idea that God put a man and a woman together is mind-boggling to me. So when we present the gospel, no, we don't, we're not angry, we're not bitter. Well, I would love to stand in Walmart and present the gospel, but I'm not going to run into Walmart. You're all going to hell. You're all going to hell. Come to self-checkout and I'll preach to you. I see that deacon down the liquor aisle. That's what I'm talking to you. But they need to hear the gospel. 
We need to share the gospel completely. We need to have confidence in that message. We need to share the gospel clearly. Yes, there may be a way we can present the gospel in a way that someone can understand it, but we never trick somebody into the gospel. We're not trying for an emotional decision. We're, we're trying for a mind and a heart decision. We want to be sure that person gets it completely, clearly. And this is what we're missing also, compassionately. Lost people do what lost people do because of who they serve. The world is the way the world is because it's a world without the gospel. I don't know what city you live in. If you're busy with us or you call Avon Park home, Avon Park needs the gospel. So does every other community in this nation. But for the sake of the elect means that we understand that the church is about evangelism. And if we are part of the body of Christ, then we are part of the church. Your life is about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do people understand that you have a relationship with Christ? Would somebody come to you with a spiritual question because they see a spiritual life being lived out in their presence? That's a great way to look at it. When is the last time you engaged in any type of conversation so that you could encourage someone to know Christ? I'll be the first one to tell you, very rarely have I ever met someone and within 10 minutes led them to Christ. But I have met a lot of people over a period of time that I know God has used it for His glory because I wanted Him to and I made myself available. I may never see the effects of it. I got a, a, a message from a gentleman that was on... Um, I can't think of the drug now. Um, stuff they make in your garage full of battery acid. He was strung out on drugs, methamphetamines. He was on meth. Okay, He messaged me. I'm on meth. True story. Coach, he called me coach. When he said coach, I knew where he'd be from. This isn't a John moment. This is just how God works. Coach, do you remember... One day after practice in that locker room, when you took, I'm like, heavens, I don't remember what I said last minute. No, I don't remember. I mean, that was 20 years ago to a middle schooler. He said, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I'm tired of meth and being on drugs. Your face and your southern voice were ringing in my ears. I was in Indiana at the time. I got up. And went to church, and I gave my life to Christ. Now, has he still got some issues? If you ever been on meth, you understand it's a process. My prayer was, thank the dear Lord, whatever I said at that moment, I made myself available to him. I don't even know what I said. Those are the types of things that I say, gosh, I hope I said it yesterday at practice. I hope I said it yesterday. I don't know, but knowing that we are, our goal is to encourage people to know Christ with our life. Secondly, for the sake of the elect, we build up and we edify one another. Notice what Paul says. He says that for the sake of the elect in knowledge and truth, 
part of being the church is not coming in here and, and, and getting what we need and then we leave. Part of being the church is we are part of being a servant of Christ. I am a messenger of, of Christ. And my goal is to help people understand the gospel and hear the gospel and that we are concerned about people's salvation and where they are, but we're also concerned about building them up. So that they might know the knowledge of truth. Question number two. When is the last time you answer this question? This is for you. I've answered it all week. When is the last time you could say God used your life as a church member of wherever you say you're? Here's a pointed question. We love having our name on the roll. Wherever you have the name on the roll, wherever you say that is your church, when is the last time God used you in that church? to help someone grow closer to the Lord. I walked over this morning, there's Sunday school teachers over there. You know how many of our Sunday school teachers are teachers? You ever thought about being a school teacher? You know what it's like to be a school teacher these days? It's hard work. We need Sunday school workers. Let's ask the teachers. They're not doing anything. So we'll ask the teachers to be Sunday school teachers. We'll ask the teachers that have kids. And are Sunday. Well, I, didn't you. I walked over there and said, thank you. I didn't tell them thank you. But I walked over there to see them. And just, I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm going, thank you of giving of yourself so that somebody else can grow. When I walk out of a prayer meeting and Bible study and I, I come out these doors, I come through the choir, I'm thinking, thank you, choir, for giving of yourselves. I walk out there and I see our people coming out that are serving. I'm going, thank you for investing in our future generations. Thank you for investing in one another. Thank you for building up the body of Christ. Everybody that does something through a local church and they're doing it for the right reasons, we are helping build up the church in faith. We are edifying one another and the knowledge of truth. That's what makes the church so wonderful. It's not about, oh, I would join the church, but they'd work us to death. you imagine having that conversation with Paul and the other disciples? Yes, they did work me to death because I'm a servant of the Lord and I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. How many people do you think in Avon Park do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Yes, we need to be working. As your pastor, I've said this a million times, we don't need to do anything else. We just need to do a few things very well. If we did Sunday school very well, if we did Wednesday night ministries very well, if we did Sunday night church very well, and everything we do, I am a member of this church. Prayer meeting, I want to do well. Sunday morning, I want to do well. Wednesday night, I want to do well. I was a deacon at 20-something years old. Had no business being a deacon whatsoever. And I remember being 20-something years old. I can figure out how old I was. 20-something years old, and I walked into, uh, all I was told is the, the, the deacons want to meet with me, and they're going to examine me. I'm going to be a deacon. I was scared to death. And I walked in there, and I had that little chair. You ever been, you remember that? Some of you older deacons remember back in that day? And I sat in that little chair, and it was like an interrogation room. And I remember sitting in the chair, and one of our deacons said, John, you know why you're here? And I remember saying, well, I repented of all that stuff in the 80s now. We're not going back there, are we? Your church wants you to be a deacon. And I remember saying this, why? You know what one of the deacons said? Because you never miss a service. You know what I said? I'm just young and dumb. 
I didn't know it was an option. Honey, let's get married in 1989 and let's find a church. And when we find that church, we're going to take that bulletin. And if it's important to the bulletin and it's important to them and they've got a service, I'm a part of the Christ. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm a member of that church. This is what we do. I went to Sunday. I remember walking in the average age of our Bible study and prayer meeting. It was 110. And I walked in there at 20 and they all looked at me and go, oh, we, uh, this is prayer meeting. I, I know. That's why I'm here. We've never had anybody 20 in prayer meeting. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm 20 and I'm in prayer meeting. And I said, what did you do? I went to prayer meeting. What time does Sunday night church start? Six o'clock. What time do I need to be there? I better get early and get a seat. This place is pretty packed on Sunday morning. You can sit wherever you want to. It just wasn't an option to me. Because I'm a believer and I, I believe in what Christ has done in my life. And, and I, I want to encourage others in the faith. And I've never walked out of a service I regretted coming to. Ever. I want to do my part to build up the church. I want to be that man in, in one of our young boys' life now. That I may not even know that I made a difference. Some of you that I visit with that wish you could be here that you can't. Some of you are here this morning. You, every time I meet with you, you, you almost I feel bad because you're like, Brother John, if I could do more, I would. Listen, you have done enough. What I understand is we get older, it takes about half a day to get up and come to church, right? And you still keep coming. And some of our 20 and 30 and 40-year-olds will tell me stories about you teaching Sunday school for years to them. You doing RAs for years to them. Now, Lawler couldn't do RAs. Lawler, you hear you can't, you can't shoot shotguns at RAs anymore, okay? We can't do that anymore. Think about your, your memories of growing up in church. Don't you want to be that memory to somebody? Don't you want to make that much of a difference in their life? Well, I don't have time to do that anymore. Well, slow down. I have to work too hard. Well, you got too many bills. Put the church where the church needs to be because part of what it is is building up one another. We evangelize for the sake of the elect. We edify for the sake of the elect. We encourage for the sake of the elect. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the the ages began. So much of the Christian life is just about encouraging one another. Anybody here this morning that's sick and been sick a long time, it wears on you, doesn't it? Anybody here this morning lost a loved one recently? Anybody here going through a difficult time that you have no control over, but yet you're right in the midst of it? Part of being with the church 
Yes, it's evangelism. Yes, it's discipling and edifying. But it's also encouraging. When's the last time as a church member you prayed for your Sunday school class? Sent a note to somebody on our prayer list. Came to a Wednesday night prayer meeting so you can know the concerns of your church members and pray for them. Went out and made a visit to just pick somebody up in their faith and point them to hope. That word hope is a futuristic word that means you know that it is going to happen. See, life is full of hope. We hope it rains today. We hope it doesn't rain today. I hope my team wins. I hope the other team doesn't win. I hope I get that job. I hope I have this money. I hope I feel better. We don't know, but that's what we want. Biblical hope is it's out there. I know it's that way, and I know it's obtainable. As long as we're this side of heaven as part of the body of Christ, we have hope. Why? I'm a servant of the Lord Most High. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ, and I have a ministry. Notice this hope. It is future yet fulfilled. It is eternal life. Eternal life begins the moment that we're saved. I would say eternal life begins forever because if you're, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. If you're not born again, you're going to hell. So eternal life is kind of for everybody, right? Eternal life from a Christian standpoint is that pervading understanding of reality in our salvation. It is my salvation being lived out. This is not all that it is. I used to think being married in my 20s was the greatest thing in the world. Then I liked the 30s. 40s weren't bad either. 50s are great because there's no kids involved. How about the 60s? Can I get an amen? How about the 70s? Amen. 80s? Oh, me. All of life, that's what our hope is in. My life is about one season to another season to another season. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a messenger of Christ. I have hope in eternal life because I am here and I am saved and I have a ministry and I have a church and I have community and we have one another. I love the idea of growing up with one another. I can't wait to be real old and start marrying kids I visited in the hospital when they were born baptizing children I've seen born. You know, that is life. That is the hope of eternal life, that we grow old together and we make a difference in our communities together. We love one another and we know that we're part of something. We're part of a church. I have hope in my life because, and I'll close with this, I have hope in who he is. I can encourage you today in your faith. You need to, I'm going to encourage you with this. You need to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And you need to have hope in who you are in Christ. And you need to have hope in your eternal life because we have hope in him. Notice what it says. Who never lies. You want to talk about faithful? God is faithful. He never lies. One of the major doctrines of Scripture is the authority and infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. That means God cannot lie. How discouraging would it be if this was had lies in it? Well, it really wasn't a flood. Well, Jesus really wasn't sinless. Well, what do we believe? It'd be like watching a presidential debate. 
We'd have to go to factchecker.com. Oh, they only lied 75%. Oh, I only lied 75%. I'll vote for that candidate then. 100% truth. God is 100% truth. Everything he says is the absolute truth, and we can bank on it. He never lies. I'm excited about that, by the way. He never lies. Promised for all eternity. Revealed through Christ continues through the gospel, which, notice what it says, we have been entrusted with by the command of God our Savior. I have hope in who he is, who is truthful for all eternity, revealed through Christ the gospel. He has entrusted me with that. Of all people, me? He's entrusted you with it. Some of us are even struggling whether we have a ministry in a church and we just don't feel like we can work it. You've been entrusted with the gospel. You are special. You are someone. He trusts you. And he never lies. To Titus, my true child in common faith. You know, we think about the church. And the privilege we have to be a believer and to understand we are the church. One of my favorite terms, I say it a lot, and I always try to say that I mean to say it, friend and brother. I love friend and brother. What's up, a friend? Brother. It's kind of like child, like family. It's intimate. It means you care about somebody. See, the church, we care about somebody. We love one another. We know that we are the body of Christ. You think the New Testament church was pretty close? You think they rallied around Stephen as they drug him off for his service? Rallied around Paul? You think they loved each other when they were being persecuted and praying over one another? Child and common person in the faith. Common in the faith. We've got something here the world doesn't get. Your neighbors say, why do you go to church? Why would they understand it? A lost person's never going to get it. We ought to get it. We are a servant of God and a messenger of Christ for the sake of the elect, for the sake of one another, for the sake of the church, for the sake of those that don't know Christ. Could you look around the room this morning and call one another a child in common faith, a brother in common faith, a sister in common faith? If you are a Christian, then you are the church. Let's stand as we pray.